I can't even do an actual intro tonight because we were talking during the music, and that's okay. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Complete Sinner's Guide. I am your host, Tyler Fowler, and we were actually having a good discussion, wasn't we, Joshua Davidson? How you doing tonight, brother? My bad. <laughs> no, you're good, bro. I'm doing okay. Actually, uh, really, I, th- I think it's probably my bad, right? Like, what do I do here? It's my job is to keep us on track. And what did we I fail? We didn't have our Still little minute thing. Job! Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay, It was collaborative Nora. failure. That's okay. It was. Um, collaborative failure. Good. I'm doing pretty good tonight, actually. Uh, this, this week was kind of debilitating. <laughs> I had a back injury earlier this week, and thankfully I got better enough to go to work today and catch up on some stuff and... Uh-huh. Um, I was walking around and I can move a little bit more freely and I just am so grateful for uh, the mobility that I have because people that are in chronic pain, I have so much sympathy for them when I'm in pain. Um, you know, so I, I just I'm praising yes. God that I feel a little bit better today. Follow up question. Uh, do you not have stuff. sympathy when you're not in pain for people that have? Right. I, it, can you explain I think yourself? it's really just like a I think it's like a relevance realization, you know, like so it's like when you, you buy a new car and then you see it everywhere, but you never saw it before until right. you bought it mm. and then it becomes obvious to you because of the relevance of it. So it's kind of like that, you know, mm. um, you just get, I get, I got a real appreciation for the mobility that I normally have when I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Taking it for um, granted. But yeah, exactly. And I'm just, I feel very blessed to be able to move around. I'm just, I'm so grateful. It's been such a weird week, but I feel good, you know, and I'm excited about tonight's episode. This is going to be a good conversation. Brother, go ahead and tell our listeners and by the way if you would like to give us a call and if you got a question or you just want to say hi or just call us please please call us no one 450 is that number to dial we would love to answer any of your questions or just chat and say hey so thank you thank you <laughs> no i'm i'm in a good mood tonight actually guys like i am I'm excited to have Nick, Nick Soliner here with us. So funny story. Let me, he's from around my neck of the woods. We have never actually like met face to face. We've chatted a little bit, you know, here and there. And my wife actually worked with his sister. And so, yes. And so again, in God's providence, he help me gain another friend. So Nick, what is going on, brother? I will just, I'll let you introduce yourself to people, tell people who you are and uh, why, why you're here tonight. What are we going to be discussing? Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, and yeah, God, God be praised. That was, um, that really was providential. I, I, I do appreciate shout out to my sister, Audrey, uh, if she ever uh, catches this episode here, um, I'm really glad uh, we were able to connect that it. way. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm really excited to join you guys uh, to talk about the the Great Commission uh, given by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, some of the the modern challenges we have um, in the world living that out that His commandment uh, to go and and baptize all and. Uh, spread the gospel to four corners of the world. Yep. Right on, man. Right on. Josh, I know you're super pumped about this. Is there anything that that you want to add? Yeah, I know you sent us uh you 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 guys you and Nick have been talking. You guys seem to hit it off pretty well, brother, over this past week. So Yeah, I mean, he's a he seems like a pretty chill dude. And I got, you know, obviously yeah. hearing his voice is a little bit different than reading his messages, but um it's it's exciting to connect with people that that, you know, uh, at least in potential, if not actuality, know something that you don't know. And then it gives you the opportunity to kind of push the boundaries of your own ignorance. That's that's something that I've really gotten kind of addicted to is just, you know, learning to not want to be the smartest guy in the room so that I can really learn something, you know, right. and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm really pleased when I can meet somebody that'll, that'll expand those boundaries a little bit. And I really haven't had a lot of conversations with people who are informed Catholics who know what they believe and why. Right. And so it, this is an opportunity for me personally that that really tickles my fancy, let's say. Um, so I'm I'm excited. And uh, 
the first thing that we were going to talk about is a brief intro to the Catholic Church. And since we have our first real Catholic on here, I believe, right, that we've never we've had a Lutheran on here. Yes. And well, we interviewed Bishop James, but well, he's not Roman Catholic. He's um, oh, man, what is he? I totally forget. I'll look oh, it up yeah. later. But I feel bad too. I totally forgot what he said too. But yeah, I mean, he technically he technically is Sorry. Catholic, but not not Roman Catholic. It was like American Catholic or something like old like American that. or something like that. Nick, do you know? Yeah, can you help us out? Yeah, I think old American Catholic Church sounded. And when we talked about this a couple months ago, I believe that was yeah. uh, that was about what the name was. I could be wrong. I, but yeah, the that, American comes to mind. American Apostolic Old Catholic Church. I do believe. Or go. the American Old Catholic Church, yeah. So, but but yeah, I think you are our first Roman Catholic, Nick, and we're I'm I'm super delighted to have you actually have a conversation with you, you know, about this subject. About let me ask you this, just kind of starting off, how long how long have you been involved uh, with the church? Oh, okay. So um, I was raised. Catholic by my parents. I was baptized as a, as an infant and then grew up in a Catholic household. Um, didn't really have a whole, um, lot of personal interest in the faith. I went to like Catholic grade school up until fourth grade and then, uh, transitioned to public school after fifth grade. And I, I would say by the time I was a preteen, I was actively trying to avoid the church and, and Christianity yeah. as a whole, you know, it's kind mm. of a very, uh, egotistical sort of, you know, egocentric teens, or it's a fairly common thing, but it's very much like, I've got better things to do. I don't want to go to church. Huh. And then um, when we moved um, right after my eighth grade year, uh, I went to a, uh, a Catholic high school in uh, Sydney, Ohio, no, Layman Catholic High School, uh, Go Cavaliers. And uh, we ended up uh, staying there for exactly one year. It was like June 22nd, 2004, we moved to to Ohio, and then June twenty second, two thousand five, moved back. And over the course of those three hundred sixty five days, um, I, the spirit just chipped away at me in a way that I, I couldn't have expected. And um, I, I remember wow. sometime like in the fall or winter time, uh, eventually, like my my freshman theology teacher was just so enthusiastic and joyful about the faith. And, uh, I was, I got to a point where I was mm-hmm. like, you know what, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I can't make myself happy no matter what I do. So God, mm-hmm. you can just do what you want with my life because I, I'm kind of done trying. And from that point on, like I, I embraced the, the faith in you know, slow, gradual ways. And then very quickly fell in love, uh, with God and his church and, uh, and pursued his heart since. And so I've been, I've been a practicing Catholic since I was uh, 15. I'm 31 now, so it's been uh, about 16 years. Okay. Hey, man, that's awesome. Half your wow. life. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of crazy <laughs> to think of in, in retrospect. So uh, since then, you know, I, I went to went to college, and I, I double majored in psychology and theology at a Catholic university in Indianapolis called Marin University, and then I got a master's degree okay. from Marquette University. Uh, focusing on like systematic theology and ethics, and and really my my uh, right my passion in theology was ecumenism. You know, uh, um, you know, I had a number of friends who were were Christian but not Catholic, and it yeah. it, it saddened my heart that I couldn't celebrate a liturgy with them. And I was like, what what are ways we can right. we can overcome some? Of these? What are the differences, and, and why are we still disagreeing about them? And, and what can we do to kind of pursue sure. those things? So, sure, that's kind of led me to where I am. Right on, man. Right, man. That's a whole conversation in and of itself. You know what I mean? Like, I would, I would love to have you back on to uh, to discuss that. But, uh, but, man, I'm excited. I'm really excited to have you here. I'm excited to have this conversation uh, about it. So, let me ask you to to just kick this off again. One eight five five four five zero six six two four is the number to call if you have a question for Nick, myself, or Josh, Noah. Noah's still here. I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, right on, brother. But but Nick, let me ask you this: just starting off, is there what what do you think today? Focusing on today, we're focusing on you know sharing the gospel, the Great Commission. What specific challenges does presenting the gospel to somebody raise? Are there challenges? Are there unique challenges to the culture to where we find ourselves in, or is it kind of the same throughout the years? Does it does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. Um, I, I think there's some overlap in some mm-hmm. of the ways that historically Christianity has has encountered resistance in the world, um, whether it be supernatural or otherwise. Um, and I, I think you know, starting at first with you know just making new disciples as like you know the evangelical call to baptize and make new disciples. Um, mm-hmm. I think there is a challenge in terms of, you know, how do we, how do we reach people who don't know the faith? And, and by now, I think maybe it's different than it was before. And Christianity is so well known. Um, you know, I think it, it's kind of commonized or, or maybe we've become over familiar with the cross in a sense. And I, I don't mean that in like a, a passive sort of way, but we, we see the crucifix or we see the cross and we think, Oh, that means Christianity. It's like, no, that was a symbol of death for, a long, long, long time. And, you know, I think right. a, a modern equivalent would be like, okay, well, you've got people who wear crosses as jewelry. You know, you could, I guess, wear an electric chair as a, a necklace or something, and that right. might wake you up in, in the way that the cross used to wake people up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm curious for you guys, whenever you are, um, when you're at, at your churches or, or where you guys worship, how have you guys, as uh, in your faith traditions, reached out to to people who maybe don't know Christ and or if they're being raised in a household, um, how how do you guys introduce the faith to your uh, people that you meet? That's interesting. So there's a couple things that my church, uh, Grace and Truth, we're Southern Baptist denomination up in Ireland, Indiana, and there's events that they put on. They're a part of festivals and, and farmers market, and and we set up shop there. There was a festival on Main Street, you know, in, in the little town of I I forget how many people's in Petersburg. I mean, you know it. You've been here, I'm sure, a couple yeah, times. It's not too many. <laughs> Jasper ain't Jasper ain't that far away. You know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, and, and so. And, and we just talk to people. We we offer games. Like if we're doing a festival, we'll offer like little free games and stuff. And while the kids are doing that, uh, we have a chance to talk, speak with parents, and and give them tracks and you know different things like that. And also to since we are talking about the Great Commission, and Josh, you can jump in if you want to after this. But there's also this perspective in which whenever people, you know whenever you hear the word evangelize, like it shakes people. People don't want to, or, or people are afraid. I know I was of sharing the gospel with strangers, with random people. Right. And so there's this yeah. aspect that we totally forget about that. Yes, there is a time and a place I think to do that. Just like Paul did in the market. He went from synagogue to synagogue, but he also preached in the marketplace, on the town square in Athens. So I believe that there's a time and a place for that, right? But evangelism is also building relationships with people, individuals on an individual level, really getting to know someone. That's where evangelism, I believe, turns into discipleship, right? Two things that should should go hand in hand. But yeah, I mean, Josh, what do you think? Um, how, how do you, how does your church, uh, Calvary, right? How, how do they... Yeah reach out to the community and what are your thoughts about, you know, personal evangelism and then like evangelism with strangers? Um, well, first my, my church, um, is very, let's say family oriented, like internally. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of, of interest and care toward one another within the church. Uh, and that's why I really love my church. I actually go to a non-denominational church. And so we don't have a lot of the secondary doctrines as a, as a, uh, as a precursor to you have to agree with me in order to fit into my club. Um, yeah. And so it's actually a lot, it's much, it seems to be much simpler uh, for me to try to, you know, invite people to the church or whatever, if they want to come in and listen to my pastor, give a sermon. Um, but it ultimately what I've, what I think and what I've learned over the years is that people have gotten into a habit of thinking it's the pastor's job to evangelize. And so they usually just think yeah. that in, inviting somebody to come to the church is, is sufficient. Um, but, that. For me personally, I actually, um, and Tyler, you know this, but I, I do homeless outreach. Um, I actually work in a homeless shelter and a rehab program as a maintenance person. And I get the privilege of being in and around all of these uh, areas that, that are full of people who have addiction problems and, you know, have slept on the streets for decades, probably uh, at least years, if not decades, some of them for very, very long time in their life. And uh, they, they've been treated kind of like a ghost. 
uh, they don't really get seen, you know, they don't really get treated like anything. If they get treated like anything, it's bad. And then usually they get ignored. Uh, and then, then there's often, um, like you said, the stranger, the, the, the person in the marketplace, I find it simpler to, to talk to people, um, in, in a format that, that gives me a little bit more control over the conversation. I used to be a salesman. And so I learned a lot of tricks about talking to people from selling cars and furniture and so forth. So if I'm going mm -hmm. to evangelize, uh, uh, somebody that I don't know, usually what I'm going to do is I'm going to guide the conversation similarly to the way that I would in sales, but with a different goal. I'm not trying to sell them anything. I'm trying to know the person. And so what I do is I ask right. them first their name and then they give me their name. And as I shake their hand, I give them the salesman handshake. You know what that is like when I grab them <laughs> with both hands and I'm shaking and I'm talking to them still Our while group, I'm shaking. Yeah. Their hand. Oh yeah. I repeat their name to them. I repeat their name to them over and over so they know that they're seen it actually brings back to their mind even subconsciously that they're a person and they're in front of me and i see them i'm interacting with them and that makes them feel already that they matter and then i begin to ask them questions about themselves simple ones and usually if you allow someone to talk and you just listen they'll tell you the craziest things right but then ultimately when i get to the gospel uh, it's after I've known a, a little bit about this person and I know their name. Uh, I grab their hand again and I put my hand on their shoulder and I begin to pray. And while I pray, I preach the gospel to them and I invite God over them. And I and I uh, I ask God to soften their heart and to touch their their mind, to heal their body, uh, their their spirit, their physical and emotional pain, whatever it is that they're going through, to reconcile with their families. And I just pray with them and I tell them about the the sacrifice and the love of Christ, the intention of God for their lives, and all those things. And I tell you what, I've never had anybody be so irreverent as to interrupt that prayer. They always just listen. And I don't have to worry about answering questions. I don't know any of those things. It seems to be the simplest route for me. And I recommend that anybody who's nervous about evangelizing because they feel like somebody is going to say something they don't know how to answer. It, don't worry about that. Just pray for them. You know, if they if you invite your if you say, hey, can I pray with you? Not pray for you. Can I pray with you? Like right now. Right. And then you pray with them. You pray over them. You invite God over their situation and then you introduce them to him right there. One, two, bang. And that's that. I, ultimately, that's how I approach the situation for me. The difficulty normally is that people are just so cynical that they go, yeah, yeah, you can pray, whatever. I, I, I No, I'm OK. And it's like, well, you're not going to stop me. I'm still going to pray for you. And I have your name now. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that personally, that's how I see the situation, but I'm curious as to, for you, Nicholas, what are, what, what kind of emphasis? Cause I know that I grew up Protestant and so did, uh, so did Tyler. And so we're, we're like vaguely yeah. familiar with Catholic doctrine in a way that you probably are like surpassing that by a good deal. So what kind of emphasis does the Catholic church put on street evangelism in the way that evangelistic churches, like the ones that we probably grew up in as, as Protestants, what kind of emphasis is there on evangelism one-to-one -one basis like that? Is that something that's like recommended or is it something where like you have to have people come into the church and, and, and participate in the mass and the liturgy uh, slowly becoming uh, catechumens or, or however that works? What, what kind of emphasis is there? Yeah. Uh, first of all, let me say that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Joshua. Uh, that's really powerful. And I, I think um, that, that I think it's uh, to your question, the it varies, I think, in, in a sense, we talk about spiritual gifts. I, I think there's some Catholic organizations that have that sort of charism that, that you've you gave an example of that the street evangelization, I, I think, is a from a, a local church. <clears throat> and when I mean local church, it just in like a diocese or at a parish level as you would any congregational church um, within as a community, obviously you could, you want to invite people to join you for liturgy, but, you know, living it out day to day. Um, I think there, there's equal value in that, that sort of sense. And, you know, for somebody who's not Catholic, they're always welcome inside the church and to attend the liturgy, uh, you know, what we call the mass. And uh, they're, they're not, um, they're not ever looked frowned upon and, you know, there's not people checking at the door. Hey, are you Catholic? You know, um, you know, and even, right. for the, the, even for the, what we call our, our Eucharist, you know, uh, the source and summit of our Catholic faith, you know, we invite people who aren't Catholic to come up and receive a blessing that we can, we can pray for future unity and for that person. Um, you know, whether it be a, a deacon or a priest who's uh, conferring the Eucharist or the blessing, um, 
you know, obviously there is a, there's a, an element of communion that has to be present for someone to receive the Eucharist, as, as the church would say. Um, right. As, as not just a physical, but a spiritual sign of our unity together in Christ that, you know, unfortunately there, there are real doctrinal differences um, that kind of separate out. But for somebody who's going to join the church, you know, obviously, as you said, you build a relationship with people um, and you live out your faith in your life. I, I remember there's been a few times uh, over the course of, of my life where I was out and about and in public with people I just met or, or whatever. And, you know, I, we were about to eat and I, I made the sign of the cross before I prayed. And then when I, when I finished my, my meal prayer before I ate, and they're like, what did you do? And I was like, Oh, that's, that's the sign of the cross. You know, it, I'm, I'm Catholic and um, it, it's a, it's a sign our, our church uses to remind us of, of our Trinitarian belief and our desire to, to follow Christ and all things. And so um, I think one of the, we talk about challenges again, and you you kind of alluded to it in your your testimony was people tend to especially today lean towards the well I'm I'm spiritual but I'm not religious and right. I think that, that that it presents a unique challenge um, when it comes to sharing the faith because you know you want people to pray with you not just to for them you know not that there's not merit and value in it but to build up someone's almost I don't know call it a spiritual sensitivity. Their, their connection to God and their awareness of his presence in their life. Um, right. And I, I, I talk to my students, I teach freshmen at, at modern day high school here in Evansville is an intro to scripture course. And very you know, cool. We, uh, we talk about that. Well, what do you mean you're spiritual, but not religious? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I believe in a God or, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what I want to do about it. It's like, well, yeah. let me ask yeah. this. What do you, what do you want out of, this relationship or, you know, how did, how does this have, how are you orienting yourself and your life towards, towards God? And, you know, I, I talk about it. A lot of my kids play video games. Like, well, what's the meta? What are the most effective tactics available for doing what, because it's a lot of time looking outward, looking in, it seems like the Catholic church has a bunch of really obscure and, and maybe awkward rules about, well, what do you do about this part of your life? Well, what do you do about this part of your life? And and it's not, it's not arbitrary. It's it's in the wisdom of the spirit that's been shared over generations after generations. That hey, when you're encountering this situation, the church knows from its experience that there's there's innate temptation, or there's a a, a sort of a cynicism that we will see today that can be uh, combated by adopting some of these things. And I I really I would love to see more people in the Catholic church even direct themselves in things that the, the early church fathers did like fasting and, um, and particular types of, of prayer, like centering prayer as, you know, I think there's a kind of trendiness to meditation and, and it, it mirrors that in some ways, but uh, there's such a, a wealth of, of different ways that the, the faith has manifested itself in the Catholic church, I think there's a, there's a lot of different things that I think fit well for different personalities. So do you think that it's, it's the case that maybe evangelism is seen more as a spiritual gift in like the, the, the Romans, uh, what is it? Romans 12 kind of way, Romans 13, where he talks about spiritual gifts like hospitality and so forth and evangelism. If it is, is that the case where it's like some people are kind of gifted toward evangelism because in the Protestant church where we grew up, it's actually emphasized that it's everybody who ever right. believes in Christ. It's your job. Yeah. Like, it's no, I think it is everyone, even for the Catholic church. I think, I think it is everyone. And okay. I, I think what, what maybe um, it would be more nuanced to say is that we recognize that people's uh, diversity of gifts, as Paul spoke, you know, it's not everyone is called to be a mouth, you know, the body of Christ right. is many parts and, and those who maybe don't have as extroverted a personality, like, you know, God, God is going to accentuate the gifts that he gives you. He's not going to change you as a person. I think maybe that sometimes is what people are afraid of. It's like, well, I, I like my comfort zone. So yeah, God's going to push you out of your comfort zone, but he's not going to (laughs) fundamentally, he's not going to flip your personality from somebody who's really conscientious and really introverted to somebody who's just not responsible at all and and extroverted. And I I think, uh, you know, once we can kind of get past it, so, well, you know, okay, you're a quieter person you right. would do a lot better evangelizing on a one-to-one basis. Like you're, you're right. not going to ask me to stand up in the front of the church and, and talk. That could be for the extroverts. <laughs> you are, know, Nick, I think it's, that sort of thing. 
I think it's funny that you mention it because I was, you know, before before I was born again, I was very calm, collective, you know, I stuck to myself. I, I didn't I didn't go to parties, you know, in, in high school or, or anything like that. And God totally changed me. You know what I mean? And I don't want to get off on the subject and make this all about me. That's not what I'm doing. But like I and I'm and I couldn't be more thankful. Like I remember a specific time whenever I was in speech class, right? And I was doing my 11th grade speech on Jimi Hendrix. No lie. True story. <laughs> and I was shaken, man, like, because it was our final one, right? And I hated getting a speech was my, I, I hated it, but you had to have it, right? And I, I I was just in fear, right? And shaken, blah, 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 this, blah, blah, that. If you would have told me then, Tyler, in 10 years, you are, you're going to become a Christian, you're going to have a radio show, you're going to talk to <laughs> thousands, I don't know, I don't know how many people listen, but... But I get over 100 downloads, you know, sometimes. So I'm doing all right, I guess, right? But right. But if you would have told me that, I'd be like, no, 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 no. But I, I, and I, this is why, like, it just makes me want to worship God even more, right? Because he takes those people like me, like Moses, right? Who, oh, God, I'm not, I'm not a speaker. I can't do this. And, I mean, look at the, look at the, you know, the Exodus and the time that they go through the wilderness and the person that Moses started out and, and who he, who God grew him to be, right. It's almost like it is night and day in some senses. Right. But I get what you're saying. Like it, it, it's nothing radical. It's nothing crazy. God is God. I believe knows us better than we do. Right. And he is so delicate, so fatherly, so uh, and I know those two words really don't go hand in hand today in this culture, delicate yet fatherly, right? Josh and I have had many conversations about topics like that. But at the same time, it's like, yes, God takes me at what was, you know, once an unworthy, self-righteous, you know, just I was the scum of the earth, bro. And, and, and to clean me up and to make me a son, you know what I mean? It's like the most radical yet at the same time delicate process that I mean that only God knows how to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he stirs the heart in ways that we just maybe never could have I imagined. Love it. Yeah. There's there's uh, gosh, I can't remember what the song is. Um I just heard it the other day and it was something about never have I known a love like this is like the refrain. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. gosh, this I know this is a secular song, but the <laughs> the elements of it are just like For real, I, I there's truth there. Back. Yeah, I get that call back to, to the, the the fundamental shift in my life when I knew God's love for me, and I just mm -hmm. I, I I curl. I mean, gosh. So one of the and I, I won't I won't stay on it too long. One of the the unique yeah. things about the Catholic Church is the the gift of reconciliation, where we get uh -huh. to go as a sacrament to the confessional and confess our sins to God, and then hear the words of absolution. Um, from the priest, you know, as Paul says in his letter of Corinthians, he's speaking in persona, in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. He says, I absolve you of, of all your sins, and you know, past and, and that you've done, whatever you know, you've confessed. And that I remember sure. going back after my conversion for the first time in like six years, and I just cried like a baby. But it was because <laughs> yeah. of like the, the joy and, and the comfort. Yeah, it was paternal. Is that that embrace from the heavenly Father that I had long I long forgotten, and it just it comforted and grew my heart in ways I could have never imagined. I'm actually curious about what you just said about the uh, the confessional and the, the the priest giving absolution and that that whole thing. Um, since, and again, since we haven't had a Catholic on here to talk about this, um, I'm just kind of asking from my ignorance. When you say that he's acting from the like like from the role of the person of Christ mm -hmm. while he's sitting on the other side he's he's speaking with you you're speaking with him and he's being a representative of Christ right is that what you're saying well no i think well yes and no so i, I would take it a step further even you know obviously he's okay. he's in representation but there's a spiritual reality that is present um in in the sacrament it's a you know we we'd say one of the seven sacraments any of them are are real, you know, often physical, but always spiritual manifestations of God's grace. And well, for for us that don't know, can you list the seven sacraments that you're talking about? 
Yeah, so um, the, the Catholic Church would hold, obviously, communion and, and baptism are the two in common we'd share with most Protestant traditions. Right. Uh, but the remaining five are, um, you know, we have confirmation, which is a, a um, the the development of Pentecost in the church through the laying on of hands and, and the passage of the Spirit um, through the apostolic tradition to all who are confirmed in the church. Um, we have, excuse me, confession, as I just said, or reconciliation uh, or penance. It's got a couple different names. Um, we have marriage as a sacrament in, it, in itself in the church. And we have holy orders, which is the conferring of the authority of the presbyteros or the presbyter for priests, and then the, the diaconos for, for the episcopate, uh, for the bishops. And then um, we have the uh, sacrament of last rites or the anointing of the sick as was described in uh, the book of, or the letter of James. So the, right. uh, they go forth and, and, and pray for those who are sick and lay hands on them so that they might be cured. Um, I, 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 I want to clarify I, or correct myself there. It, it, we call it anointing of the sick. We typically gets shown in pop culture, you know, the priest pulling off on the side of the road for somebody who was just in an accident, conferring last rites on them or a, like a terminal cancer patient. Um, it's it's often a combination of uh, reconciliation and uh, anointing of the sick. And if the priest has um, communion on them and that individual is a Catholic, they can receive communion on their deathbed as well. So then in, in terms of those those seven there, um, you said the two that we have overlap um, are, are most obviously the, the baptism uh, in water as well as um, taking communion or what you would call the Eucharist. Yes. Um, and, and then, uh, we, we do share the, you know, you, we do share a union of, of, of marriage, at least I'm not sure that, that my church would call it, uh, the same kind of thing as a sacrament necessarily, but I actually mm-hmm. am, uh, very struck by that. I, I really like the idea of viewing the covenant union between a man and a, a husband and a wife as a sacrament before God. I think that's actually a really intuitive way of looking at that. Um, but, but I'm kind of curious also, um, we, we have in the, uh, the outline here, uh, talk about prayer. Um, what role does individual prayer play in the Catholic, uh, in the Catholic faith? Because, um, you know, obviously a lot of what people have reference to as far as Catholics go is, um, what's in the movies or, or in, you know, something like that, uh, kind of entertainment value version of, uh, it's probably, probably something close to like a microwave version of Catholic. Catholicism, <laughs> if I'm That's honest. a good analogy. And, I like that. <laughs> um, so, so then I, I want to ask what role does the individual in prayer, um, and the, the role of let's say Mary or the saints or your direct access to the throne in the way that Hebrews describes it, how, mm-hmm. what's, what's the role of individual prayer and how do you use that to strengthen yourself? No, that's, that's an excellent question. So I, I think it, that's one of the things that I, I would love to see more Catholics really focus on. Cause I think, you know, when we're shared the faith as, as children or when we're brought into the church, you know, we're, we're often presented with like a, a series of, of organized and structured prayers through the liturgy or, <clears throat> or cultural norms for prayer with like dinner meal prayers or, or maybe prayers before bed that maybe we've said with our parents. But I think, you know, right. developing a personal prayer life, especially one rooted in our experience with scripture. You know, I think um, the the ancient practice of the church of Alexio Divina, which is, you know, it's a, it's a prayer interaction with the scriptures as you read and reflect and, and listen and then, and pray again. You know, it's, it's a, it's both, it's a repeated engagement in prayer and in a way that's not mechanical. I, th- I think it should be organic and, and on a personal level. So I, I, you know, to the question again, um, it's kind of hard. I think a lot of times for people who are coming out of the world, because we we tend to to clump God into either, well, I pray to God when things are going well and I'm thankful for what I have. And then, you know, or I pray to God because he's my magical wish granting genie and I'm hoping he'll give me what I want. And then, you know, (laughs) when when we finally get to know him, like, Oh, Okay, so he's neither one of those. Things. You know, like we, we should be grateful and we should ask and, and petition for for what he wants. Um, but I, I think the when Paul talks about praying without ceasing and in, in the you know his first letter to the Thessalonians, I think it, it really it's an invitation not just to to engage God frequently. You know, because if we really if we took it literally, you know, a con- like a stream of consciousness to the heavens for for 
there ever. It would be, it would be nigh impossible to sustain. So I, right. I tend to think about it in terms of like inviting God into all the moments of our life that we wouldn't ordinarily thinking about it. You know, like so right. brought up marriage is, is that unitive element. It was like, yeah, like put God in your marriage as much as possible like in yeah. prayer actively, like I want God at my dinner table. I want God at the foot of my bed. When I tuck in my kids, I want, I want God in my bedroom when I'm um, renewing my vows with my wife and, and living in, in uh, unity together as one flesh. And I want God at the, the, my low moments and my high moments. And just even just like something as simple, like on your way to work, you know, um, invite God into the car on your, on your morning drive. You know, those, and, and kind of, I, I, I steal this sort of ism from Father Mike Schmitz. He's got some pretty good stuff on, on YouTube and, and some other channels. He, he has, uh, I talk about it as like a, a sort of in the same roomness. Like you, you want God in the same room as you at all times. Right. And, that, and if you did that, like how different would we act in our lives if we had a constant knowledge of God's presence? Yeah, that's legit, man. Like, especially when, when you're talking about inviting him into the most intimate parts of your, your lived experience, which is your home, uh, the inside of where you live, the people that you live with, um, you know, like our, 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 let's say our lived experience and our known territory in our lives mostly consists of people. Uh, and so our relationship between people ought to be something that can be centered around God. And I, I really like what you said about having a conscious, a conscious uh, uh, knowledge of his constant presence. I think that's probably the best way of looking at that is to be like aware of God, even if you're not actively communicating with God. It's like, I don't always have something to say, you know, but just the awareness of his presence is something that I think, uh, even, even in the Protestant world should be emphasized a lot more. Yeah. Nick, I want to ask you, you brought up in your outline roadblocks and, and, I just wanted to ask if you wanted to speak on the mental health and the well-being uh, for pastors and, and oh, yeah. what we can do to help on that. Because I think it's a really important, I, I think it's really important because y'all, <laughs> if you don't know, I mean, I'm not a pastor <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, right? But I know how busy I am with the podcast, right? Josh knows how how, how much work it takes to to do one of these podcast, radio show, YouTube right. channel, you know, constantly being active on Facebook. Like I can only imagine what all a pastor does and pray for your pastors. You know, if, yes. if, if you yes. attend the church regularly and you're listening to this, pray for your pastors. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of give that little. No, thank spiel. you for that. The, so, yeah. So that is something I've really been passionate about in, in recent, uh, months is, is you know I come into the realization that a lot of uh, church leaders whether they be protestant pastors or catholic priests or are oftentimes bearing crosses that we ourselves have no idea is going on in their lives that, that can cause yeah. a tremendous amount of physical or spiritual suffering and i, I think um we, we oftentimes can take it for granted they're like oh well, this guy's a holy guy like he's 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 probably okay you know, he yeah. doesn't, it's not like he yeah. needs help getting on with his relationship with the Lord or he's perfect. He's yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, right. he's always there for me. What, you know, what more could we possibly right. do for him? It answers <laughs> a lot. You know, I've, I've yeah. talked to a number of, of priests who are either struggling with, with mental health things, just like any, you know, any other person. I think it, mm -hmm. it was the national average is like one out of five people has some form of like, they could at least use a visit to a counselor for mental health, if not sure. some form of diagnosable uh, struggle. Yeah, and I think the same thing's probably relevant for for priests and pastors of any tradition. You know, there's a, a tremendous amount of stress that goes into running at both as an administrator for their their organized church, taking care of the infrastructure of the building, and helping on the finance committees and all the little things that maybe we don't have at the forefront of our heads, but like yeah. even writing a, a sermon or a homily is like, gosh, you know, sometimes the, the, the scripture reading chosen for the week is just like, well, I don't know. That one doesn't really feel like it hits close to home. How am I supposed to talk about that? And, you know, right. so, you know, and maybe not, we're not helpful in, in that regard, but it, even things like, um, gosh, I remember talking to somebody about um, one of the things that's hurting, like, the call, I'd say, I should say, for people to 
discern a life of service to the church's priests or to, to, you know, manifest their gifts as a pastor is, is hearing the criticism, uh, you know, in the car home from a, a liturgy or, or, or something. It's like, well, that sermon kind of stunk. I don't know what was up with the priest today. It's like, that that's not terribly constructive. And I think it, it does great harm in the sense of like, maybe we should be more, uh, I don't know, knowledgeable or cognizant of, of the way that we, present our relationship with our pastors you know they, they do a tremendous amount of service for us and they're all over the place in terms of where maybe they are in their spiritual life but and many of yeah. them like as i said before bearing crosses that we don't know about so i think you know from from what i've seen you know for for both protestants and catholics it's it's a uh, what we can do to help is first and foremost pray and then i think additionally is is maintain the desire for a relationship and, you know, whether they're a new pastor or they've been there for 10 years, you know, sometimes we kind of fall into these mental ruts or we, we get distracted by something for a long time and it detracts from our, our spiritual life in a way that we didn't realize we needed that for sustenance. You know, I, I talk all the yeah. time about my students, find what's spiritually life-giving for you and don't let go because the moment you do, like it just, it quickly rolls downhill in ways that maybe we didn't expect. Right. right. So what have you guys seen on your guys' part um, from the, the Protestant side of things? Personally, I have, I, I'm actually friends with quite a few people who are ministers and, and leaders in the church. I've done ministry myself. I, you know, I, I evangelize a lot. I've also covered for my pastor and preached sermons from the pulpit of my own church. And I can tell you how incredibly intimidating it is. Um, it has uh, the, the, the feeling that I can compare it to, if I can be so crude, is uh, almost holding a pistol for the first time and recognizing the power in your hands and being absolutely mm-hmm. terrified by it. Um, that's kind of what it feels like. And to have that uh, over you week after week, day after day, uh, and then also to have the counseling aspect of, of pastoral ministry over your head and also the expectation that people have because they're watching you. Uh, make no mistake, people watch the leaders in their church. Uh, and whatever the, the leader in the church uh, does, even sparingly in his own time, his congregation will take to excess because that's what leadership does. It breeds an example, and then people act that out because they want to emulate what's above them. And so the pastor is bearing a weight that I think a lot of people don't really understand. Uh, and and pastors are, in fact, uh, capable of being completely burnt out, um, having no mental energy left to deal with things. And then something really awful happens in that moment, and they have to keep their patience and their their attention, you know, and, and so... Um, for for pastors, what I what I've seen personally is that pastors get in a bad way when they isolate themselves from the rest of the congregation in a way that is unhealthy. And what I mean by that is they don't just play their role as a pastor; they think that they have to be in some sense some sense actually separate from the people that they're that they're ministering to. And I think that that's that 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 authority that they hold breeds kind of an illusion in their mind that Satan is really willing to play with to say, you know, those people over there they're having their social hour, but if you participate, then these people will lose their their reverence or whatever that they have for the authority because they'll think of you as just a normal person rather than some navy seal elite christian. Uh, and and I don't I don't think that that's a, a reasonable way of looking at the relationship that we have within the church as a family and a body. What we're doing when we come together is actually assembling the body of Christ. And as you said, we all are different pieces. And there's no reason for the one who's who's let's say in the position of being part of the head uh, to be in any sense disconnected from the rest of the body. Uh, and so I think that having a more relational connection with the, the congregation is something that uh, is really crucial for those people and recognizing that they can bring their burdens, not only in prayer, but also to the congregation in a way that uh, reveals their humanity, let's say, but also gives them the opportunity of receiving ministry as well as them giving ministry. Um, because you can't give what you don't have. If you want to be a blessing, you have to be blessed. And so that's what I would say is that people are overwhelmed uh, especially your ministers, and they really need your prayer, but they also, in some sense, need your attention person to person, just like you do. 
And it would be important yeah. and even useful for people to recognize that their their pastor is a person and they <laughs> they're not Jesus. They might be in a role to to represent him for you. And there's a like you said, some spiritual reality in, in receiving the ministry they have for you in, in a real sense. It is from God. Um, but that person is playing as as a tool or a conduit in, in a much grander sense. And it can be overwhelming. And, and we should, we ought to be conscious, like you said, of of how we treat them, how we react to them. Uh, the, the way that we can encourage them and not in a sort of, oh, you're a celebrity. Let me shake your hand kind of way. But really in like a man, you, good job. I saw what you did there. I see that you're yeah. tired and you really mm. tried, man. Good job. I'm proud of you. Yeah, that's really yeah. well said. I, I think, too, something that came to mind was um, even something as simple as like a routine, you know, especially uh, if there's a shift. At, a, at any church, regardless whether it's a, either a big loss or a big gain to the congregation, there, there's change in needs. And it, it can, you get emergency calls as pastors or priests that you have to deal with, or it, particularly when people are, are dying or a recent death in the community, that it can really buckle your schedule. And right. you know, I, I'm, I think if you allow yourself to become deviated off of routine, maybe you've never had a routine and you've still been trained into a leadership position in the church. Like you need a routine because if you lose your routine, you're going to lose off your sleep and your sleep controls your circadian rhythm and that controls your mood. So it just, you know, so even simple things like that, just be, you know, cognizant of, of things that your pastor could be. And like you said, the, the devil preys on the, the sort of, uh, thought of, well, you can be friendly, but you can't be friends. And I, I think there's a danger in sort of separating oneself. Obviously, there, there is a healthy boundary, I think, that has to be found for dealing with maybe some confidential things that, that right. maybe a leadership position would hold. But, but don't ever suspect that your priest isn't desiring that sort of commonality of personhood. Right. right. Priests and pastors are people too. <laughs> but, but on a... But really, on a real note, they—I mean—they are. They're—they might be superheroes, yes, but they are people, and so they need us as much as we—we we need them, guys. We've got about five, about five minutes left, and this Ooh. is this has went by fast. I, I've had fun. I've I've enjoyed having uh, Nick on. We've got to have more shows with you, bro, because there are so many. Yeah different things that I want to talk about, things that we agree on, things even that we disagree on. Like I want to talk about all these things, right? And so we're <laughs> going to have to have to definitely have you back, brother. You've just been a delight. I, I, I've loved I've loved listening to you. I've learned a lot uh, from you. But in the in the last last 4 minutes now, is there anything like what how would you wrap up? How would you what's the takeaway? From, well, from well the first, first can, Nick, Nicholas, if you if you have any uh, like a do you have a, like a YouTube channel or anything that you want to plug in and have people uh, be able to to, to find uh, find you online or uh, see any more content from you, uh, go ahead and plug that now too. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not that big time yet, so <laughs> I'm uh, um, working on my my digital presence and that sort of a thing. But uh, well, if, you, if you need to contact <laughs> me with any questions, if nothing else, you can contact me uh, uh, over email, uh, nselner at evdio.org. Uh, a simple Google search could help you find it if you needed to. I know the last name's kind of funny sounding to spell, so I'm sure to pop up. Um, but to, to your question, Tyler, in terms of, of wrapping up, you know, I think one of the things that uh, presents itself as a, maybe a setting, you know, we, we kind of worked it inside out from the, the get-go with the, the Great Commission is, is to recognize, you know, as our, our place as, as church in the world, we are still, you know, as you've talked before in other episodes, like it, we're in intimate territory, you know, we, we are still exiles yeah. in Babylon. And, right. and as such, you know, Isaiah gives the, the, the command to, to make, make houses and build up your community, you know, live for one another you know, and, and love one another and, and do what is best for your neighbors, even if they hate you. Um, and, but to, to forget to, I, I think there's a temptation to, because of how familiar the world is with Christianity, it, it doesn't mean it follows it. <laughs> so, um, and right. I think if we remember that and keep that in our minds, you know, Hey, we're still living here. We're still called to act and to work and Christendom, is, you know, the Perusia is not here yet. We're, we're working towards bringing uh, that great commission to fruition. Um, right. 
And I, you know, I think keeping that in the back of our minds going forward, especially in the light of, of the current events going on in the world today, you know, there's no question that, uh, that darkness is still rooted in, in many, many places and leading That's people right. astray. And our, uh, our call is to help foster that, you know, and whatever means we have available. Shine the light, be the light in a dark world. And you do that with more than just words. You do that with your actions, right? These are, the, this is how we display Christ. I mean, evangelism, you know, that, that for those just tuning in, you missed it, you know, but we've been talking about evangelism and there's no better way to evangelize than to go love on somebody. That's the best way to show Christ, in my opinion, right? Just go love on somebody, somebody who needs it, somebody who doesn't, somebody that you don't know, right? Like, you just love on somebody. Start with your wife. Start with your husband. Start with your kids, you know? If, if you don't have a wife, you don't have a husband, don't have kids, start with your mom or dad or, or, or grandparents, you know, somebody. And then spread the love, you know? It's like how much, and, and I'm not trying to sound, you know, all hippie and stuff like that, but really, Jesus said that you will know his disciples by what? Love. Your love for one another. Right. right? And so go forth, do that. That's how we show Jesus. You know, and you never know who's watching. You could be telling somebody the gospel and, and, and someone that you have no idea is even there could benefit from hearing what you're saying, right? Or, and, and vice versa, with the with your works. You know, you help somebody else out. I mean, y'all don't know, I mean, if you heard the uh, the interview we did with Chris Randall, Crazy God Story, go follow him on TikTok. He's got some yeah. crazy stories, crazy stuff. Stop to kill her because he had a flat tire on the interstate. Stopped a killer because he told him about Jesus. He was on his way to go kill some people, and he told the dude about Jesus, and he ended up going to a church. Right? That's it's just amazing. crazy... Crazy stuff like that, you know, you never know what it's going to do to someone or for someone or for the kingdom of God, right? That's how you seek the kingdom first, by loving others as you love yourself. You know what I mean? All the darkness, all the darkness in the world can't extinguish, this can't extinguish the flame of one candle. Love covers a multitude of sins as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's both right. go hand in hand. And so... Well, and don't, I, don't ever get discouraged too, you know, don't, don't measure right. your... Don't measure your efforts of evangelization by the number of people you convert because you never right. know where people are. You know, you, you could look into a crowd of a thousand people and you have no idea which hearts are ready for for the soil. You know, you don't know who's That's ready right. to receive Man. the word. And you just got to go out and, and do as you recommend and let God handle the rest. That's Amen. right. That's right. Nick, I appreciate it, brother, so much. Thank you for joining us. Also, don't forget, May 13th and 14th, we're launching a new podcast, Faith Unaltered. It's going to be great, in my opinion. And so thank you all for listening. God bless. Good night. Stay like Christ. And we will see you next time on the Complete Center's Guide.